you know, one of the things I share in there is I, I've never paid my kids an allowance. I really don't believe in allowances. I think uh, paying kids because they're breathing and they exist and they make their bed when they wake up is really is really not teaching them much. And so my wife and I created a menu of opportunities, menu of earnings opportunities, and the kids get to choose how much they want to work, how much effort they want to put in, and how much they want to earn, essentially. So each Saturday morning, they turn in their their scoreboard points for the week, all the things that they've done, and they get paid based on that effort. And frankly, there's not really a, a cap. They can come up with creative projects and negotiate. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 235, coming to you early in the week out of our normal scheduled release date. And that's because we've got a returning guest, Chad Willardson. He had a book come out toward the end of last year called Smart Not Spoiled. So super, super interesting conversation with him. He told his millionaire story a, a little while ago, just like Joe did. And, uh, you know, this book is, is really interesting that, that Chad's written. It, it's all about teaching kids uh, about finances earlier in, in life. You know, we talked a little bit about Florida and a few other states that have just signed into law having a course uh, for high schoolers or, or students to, to take as part of the curriculum. So Chad's been a real instrumental in, in trying to push, you know, early education for, for children or around finances. And, and this book's got some great stories, great examples of kind of how to apply some of, of those things. So super uh, interesting conversation with him. He gets into some of the stories and things that, that he does with his family uh, great insights. Real quick, wanted to read it. You know, we we're talking about our, our location stats, you know, with the, uh, where people are listening from. And we, we got an email, uh, from a, a listener in Canada. She says, Hey there, this is just a shout out from up in Canada. Say, love your podcast. I've been binge listening since finding you via Save Spend Splurge blog of Sherry from Montreal. We need more of this inspiring content. So keep it up. Cheers, listener from Canada. So appreciate that shout out. Love getting getting uh, those emails from you all, Portugal and Canada, and you know who knows where the next one will come from. But uh, anyway, let's get into the episode with Chad. Chad, you want to just kind of give everyone a, an update on on what you're doing, and maybe kind of tell us a little bit about your new book that you've got coming out. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. Um, our our business, Pacific Capital. Remember, we're a fiduciary wealth advisor for entrepreneurs. Uh, we've had an incredible year. We've grown over seventy percent this year, which is great. We celebrate our ten-year, excuse me, our ten-year anniversary in November. Uh, one of the projects I've been working on, though, is writing this book, which I'm very excited about. It's called "Smart, Not Spoiled: The Seven Money Skills Your Kids Must Have Before Leaving the Nest." To me, it's just a it's a hot topic, not only as a father of five myself, but just understanding the family dynamics behind wealth management, investing, personal finance. And I hear a lot of people talk about, number one, the next generation is spoiled, entitled. And number two, like, how do I teach my kids about money? And so that's that's what I'm really excited about right now. Okay, perfect. So by the time this is probably published, you'll be able to, to buy that Amazon, any bookstore, basically? Correct. Yep. Okay, cool. 
let's get into a little bit of the details. I know you mentioned you had seven seven things in there, and and you before the show you let us know a little bit about this one, how it's a lot more personal, and you actually did the audio recording yourself, which is cool too for those that listen to audiobooks. What are some things that, that you cover in the book and maybe, you know, share a story or two specifically about some things that you, you think are, are, are relevant and highlight kind of what you're trying to get across to people with this book? Sure. Yeah. So this book is really, it is personal. And I think money and family, it becomes a more personal situation. Um, you know, two thirds, as I wrote on the back of the book, two thirds of American parents believe their children are entitled or spoiled. And what I talk about in the book is why is that? They have so much that we didn't have when we were kids, and they expect a lot more. But they they don't really understand or appreciate money, and I don't think it's their fault. And that's where this situation really begins: is the schools are not teaching kids about personal finance. They're they're not teaching that. They're you know these kids are graduating at eighteen, and they they know how to dissect a frog, and they know the the inner parts of a cell membrane. But they have no idea about investing in compound interest, retirement planning, taking out a mortgage loan, filing and paying taxes. They're just not taught this stuff. And so in the book, I highlight the seven skills and topics that I really think you can help your kids become really proficient at before they leave high school. And I, I share stories with my own five kids. You know, my oldest is a junior in high school and my youngest is six. And just some of the things that we've done as a family to really try to emphasize how to be smart with money, how to appreciate the value of a dollar, despite my kids growing up in some abundance versus, you know, my middle class upbringing. So, you know, one of the things I share in there is I, I've never paid my kids an allowance. I really don't believe in allowances. I think uh, paying kids because they're breathing and they exist and they make their bed when they wake up is really is really not teaching them much. And so my wife and I created a menu of opportunities, menu of earnings opportunities, and the kids get to choose how much they want to work, how much effort they want to put in, and how much they want to earn, essentially. So each Saturday morning, they turn in their their scoreboard points for the week all the things that they've done, and they get paid based on that effort. And frankly, there's not really a a cap. They can come up with creative projects and negotiate and say, hey, I think I give examples of like my daughter who looked in my my home library, which is a total disaster because I buy too many books and they they pile up everywhere. And, And she just said, Dad, I think I need to organize your office, your library. And she said, I'm going to categorize all the books. I'm going to organize them by category and alphabetize them and just sort out your whole library in your office, which is a big project. It's an all-day project. And she said, I think it's worth 40 bucks. And I said, great, let's, let's, let's agree to the deal and go for it. And it took her like five or six hours. She did an amazing job. And she basically underbid her work. And so, of course, being a fair dad, I, I paid her more than the $40, but... It was a good learning experience. And so I try to teach our kids, if you see a need, then fill the need. Like find things that need to be done around the house. Propose a, a cost and what you're going to do to and what you're going to learn in the process. And I just feel that teaching kids to take initiative and that their work and their effort results in earning income is a lot better than saying, okay, well, it's Saturday and you survived another week. So here's your allowance. Here's your cash. Go blow it at the movie theaters or something with your friends. So 
I share a lot of stories like that, things that we've done that are different to help teach kids to be smart, not spoiled. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned earlier that that this stuff's not taught in schools, and I think that we hear that often. One question, should it be taught in schools, and at what grade level, if it should be, and, and who should be that teacher? Because I think sometimes it's like, you know, we go learn from a science teacher who's been doing these science experiments, but does it make sense to learn from, from somebody personal finance that maybe isn't great at personal finance, which could happen in some cases? Such a great point. Yeah, such a great point. And that may be the issue. That may be the issue. We don't have highly qualified personal financial success stories that are just teaching at the, at the public school systems. And that may be the case. I think that we can teach some basics of filing taxes or applying for a loan or interest rates, things like this that we can teach. Now, it may not be like the entrepreneurial success course that we would love to see our kids learn in school. It's probably not going to get to that level. But some basic foundational principles around financial planning, I definitely believe could be taught. I've spoken in many, many schools and assemblies and like big district gatherings and regional conferences. And it's shocking to me how these kids, like they, they pick it up quickly. I think that you could teach personal finance skills in schools for sure, for sure, at least by fourth or fifth grade. Uh, my kids, when they're eight years old or seven years old, we open a bank account for them. I go down to the bank. I initiate the conversation, but once they've opened the account, I let them do the talking. So my kids will be in the bank line and they will, I'm going to stand back. I'm not even going to go up to the teller with them. And they're making deposits and they're asking questions and they're punching in their own little debit card passcode. I, I just think the more that we entrust them to be independent and, and we're there to guide them, but the more experiences they have dealing with financial decisions, the better off they'll be when they grow up. Yeah. And, and just to add to that point, Chad, I think it'd be interesting in college. I think a personal finance course should be required or oh, absolutely. At, at some level, right? Even, I mean, high school, of course, it gets started, but it's amazing the people that get into college and don't know anything about it. And then you get into the real world and you just realize, holy cow, I didn't like yeah. any of it. So, so the moment they turn 18, they're, they're hitting, they're hit with credit card solicitations, student loan offerings. I think it's got to be taught before they leave high school. But yes, in college, some of the general ed courses should definitely based, be based around personal finance and personal financial planning and investing and all these things for sure. Yeah, so we hear a variety of ways. It's the millionaires that we've interviewed, how they interact in terms of money and, and their children, right? Allowances or different star metrics or rewards or this or that. Some do allowances, some don't. Some pay for school, some don't. I mean, what do you guys do for your kids? Do you do an allowance? Do you do some sort of pay for the job? Or how do you handle that that whole sphere? Yes, yeah, so we don't do the allowance. We do the, the menu of opportunities where they pick the work. Each task is assigned a, a point, category one, two, three, four, five points, whatever it might be. And they complete that job and they keep track of their points throughout the week. And then at the end of the week, they turn in their scorecard and, and they get paid based on their work. Uh, when it comes to investing, though, like I have our kids, our kids have Roth IRAs, they have bank accounts, and they have 529 accounts. And I've had them contributing to those at a very young age. So even if the dollar amounts are small, if they're earning money, a portion of that earnings need to be needs to be invested. It needs to be put into an investment account. And I like to go through the options when we're investing and look at companies and stocks that they're interested in, companies they use, that they're familiar with, like Disney and 
Netflix and Amazon and things like that that they're familiar with just to teach them about what investing is, just opening that conversation. So I, I believe that we have a responsibility to help contribute to the, to the financial growth of what they're investing in. But I also think that they need to not be just bystanders watching. You know, they've got to be contributing actively and participating in the process. So we have some clients who one, like we just had a situation where we had a financial consultation and the, the wife said, well, my parents paid for all of our college and our MBA and whatever PhD programs. And, and he was like, well, I didn't get anything paid for. I, I worked two jobs while I was going to college and I learned a lot. I don't want to spoil my kids. And they came from very different backgrounds. And when it came down to that, they essentially decided on a compromise and agreed to fund the freshman year of their, of their kids college. So they kind of wanted to just get them a good jump start, but they also wanted to prepare them for the real world and get them working soon thereafter. So are you going to pay for your kid's school? It's a good question. Um, we have, we have 529 accounts that we've contributed to since they were born and that they've actually contributed to. So they should be good to go on that. I'm actually hoping some of them uh, work out a sports scholarship and we can take some of that money back. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But we will definitely contribute. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll pay for at least a portion of their school. Yeah. So let's go back to your book here. I know you've mentioned a few things that you try to teach your, teach your kids, but big picture here, seven habits that or seven things that the kids should, should learn before they leave the nest or leave the house. I mean, give us right. a few of those. I'll just go through a couple of them. I'm pulling up the book right now. So I, I talk about um, investing early and often. Because I think that teaching kids the power of compound interest really gets them a head start and on track for financial freedom and independence. They're going to make much smarter decisions and know how to take advantage of opportunities if they're understanding that the long-term investing in compound interest has a major, major impact if they start at an early age. So we talk about that. We talk about creating passive income. Another skill is learning to borrow wisely understanding the difference between good debt and bad debt, borrowing strategically and intentionally to really invest in things that grow. Uh, we talk about the consumer debt that people get trapped in because they just don't have a control over their spending. Um, number three is knowing your cash flow. So don't get stuck in the rat race, living paycheck to paycheck for 50 years. Like you got to know what income you've got and what expenses you've got and understand but if you don't have control over your money, your money's going to have control over you, no doubt. So it's a, it's a savvy way to really be intentional about your spending and your, your earning. Um, one of the chapters is about talking taxes. So if, if kids can understand a little bit about taxes, then they will understand the cost of everything that they earn and, they, and whatever they buy. And that investing decisions with stocks and real estate businesses, they won't be blindsided by unexpected tax bills. Um, so we were out to breakfast Labor Day. So today's Wednesday. So Labor Day, we were at the beach house in Balboa, if you know where Newport Beach is. And we went to our favorite breakfast spot called the Lighthouse Cafe. And they've got incredible breakfast meals, like these big blueberry pancakes. They've got French toast with strawberries and whipped cream and all kinds of different great breakfast options. And so when they serve the breakfast, being the good financial steward I am as a father, I take a big bite out of every kid's meal before they start, and I just remind them that this is taxes. So <laughs> I think it's free in life. So I say, 
taking my bite and my youngest son who's six he's just like the dad tax is always getting bigger dad it's always getting bigger and i said that's like real life son you, know, you never know when taxes are going up so do you do that often oh all the time absolutely i gotta i always gotta take a big bite out of their meal and teach them about taxes so that's funny. i think the cool thing about this book smart not spoil though is i have a ton of examples like that that are easy and fun even games to play so at the end of each chapter i have family activities that could work at different ages. And some of them I sourced on my own and others I've gotten from friends and clients and, and uh, people who are willing to share. So a lot of good ideas like that to teach your kids about money. Totally. What are some of the big biggest mistakes that you see the wealthy make in terms of either passing money to the next generation or skills or lack thereof? It's a great question. I think the greatest mistake I make, I see people make with, passing wealth on to kids or just it is not talking about it enough making money a taboo subject in the family especially amongst those families who have lots of money or who have a really high income everything is a secret so kids grow up thinking that you're not allowed to talk about money or on the flip side all they see are parents in disagreements about money even when they have a lot there's a lot of disagreements about it so i, I think the biggest mistake is making money something that you can't really talk about at the kitchen table and not making it a comfortable topic where it should be easy to talk about. We should be having these open conversations. We should talk to kids about the difference between getting a job or starting a business, or what career path they might be on, what opportunities there are. We should, we should be passing on values and not just money. I think that's extremely important. Teaching the values and the, how we view money is important so that our kids can understand how to appreciate the value of a dollar. So the more we talk about it, and I, I mentioned it in the book, but one of the studies shows that parents are more comfortable talking to their kids about drugs and sex than they are about money. And it really shouldn't be so hard. So whatever these kids grow up with when it comes to the approach, the family approach to money, that's going to stick with them forever. That's a blueprint that you're laying a foundation for that's going to be very hard to break. The last chapter, I talk about giving generously. I think with wealthy families, having a healthier relationship with money, teaching kids to be less selfish, that money is a tool. You know, I have one client who involves their kids in annual charitable planning meetings where they get, they essentially get like a presentation from local charities and the kids get to decide what charity they want to be involved with. And they're going to not only give money, but they're going to go volunteer as a family and give time. I think that's a great opportunity to teach kids about money too. Totally. How, how have you taught your children the, the principle of generosity and giving? I share a few stories in that chapter. Of one, of, one of the things that we always do is, because we do like to travel a lot and often uh, to faraway places. And I, I think the importance of, Helping kids, helping our kids appreciate and understand how fortunate we are and how we can really do good with money can be taught while traveling. And so when we travel, we always have a giving day. We look to do acts of service on our giving day on the trip. Uh, one time we were in Jamaica. I think it was Jamaica. It was somewhere in the Caribbean. But we, we took a taxi ride that was pretty long to get to an orphanage. And we had to fill out a ton of paperwork to get there and to make it even possible. 
our taxi driver was confused. Like, why are you guys spending, why are these Americans on vacation spending an entire day going back <laughs> out there to this orphanage? But by the end of the day, my kids had built real friendships with these kids who were in the orphanage. And that was the second day of our trip. At the end of the vacation, when we asked, how do we want to spend our last day here? Our kids wanted to go back to the orphanage and say goodbye to their friends. And I think that's a principle that I won't forget, certainly, and our kids won't forget, is that there there are so many people out there in need. And if we use our money for good, then it's more of a motivating purpose behind us growing wealth and abundance because we can do good with it. I, I believe that we can do so much more than just writing a check and making big donations and going to charity fundraisers, but involving our kids in the act of giving and serving is something that my wife and I are very committed to. And so I, I share a bunch of stories of things that we've done and also friends of mine. And I, I just think that it's it's a very important principle. If you want your kid to be smart, not spoiled, you've got to actually practice it as a family. It can't be lip service. Yeah, it's really neat and, and commendable. So good for you guys. Let me go back just to one thing you mentioned to Jay. She's doing like the annual family, what do you call it? Financial meeting. How detailed, how open should parents be with their kids about money? And maybe it's net worth, maybe it's income. I mean, how open should parents be? And when should those conversations start? Or do the kids even need to know? Great question. I personally don't share net worth or income with my kids, but I do share the cost of everything. And in the book, I talk about transparency and maybe everyone has different levels of comfort on the transparency side, but I don't necessarily think they need to know my income or my net worth, but I tell them the cost of everything. So we went to uh, Disney World for the first time and it was the seven of us. And it was a very expensive day and we had food and we had the entrance fees for the park. And I shared that cost and I talked about how much do you need to earn before taxes to pay for one day at Disney World for our family. And they were shocked. And let me tell you, the next day at a different park, we they gladly packed their lunches before we left for the park. I think we have to share the costs of things because you could have a high schooler graduating high school who thinks that paying for uh, their car and, and their rent and a bunch of other things maybe only cost a thousand dollars total per month they just have they don't have any concept so we need to be open to some extent i think we need to be open with especially the basics of budgeting we talk to our kids and let them get involved in the grocery shopping and things like that they need to understand the cost of life and at least in southern california the costs have gone up significantly in the past few years so i believe it's very important to share those things i don't think you need to share net worth or income details, maybe not even until they're after, you know, out of college or you're preparing the next generation to maybe take over a business or something like that. But I think the budget issues and the spending and the cost of, of what you do is certainly something that doesn't hurt to share. Yeah, I agree. So let me, we talked about this a little bit before we did the intro. There's been a few people in the news recently. Jace mentioned Daniel Craig when we were chatting, right? The actor. Kevin O'Leary, obviously Warren Buffett, in in terms of how much to leave your kids, right? And I think Warren Buffett's stance is leave your kids enough that they can do anything, but not enough that they don't have to do they don't have to do anything, right? They can't do right. they have to do something. Right. So 
What's your take on that? And maybe it's evolving, right? As your kids grow up or as the net worth grows or the income grows or the business value grows. What's your take and what do you see on your high net worth clients? What are their approaches to that? It's a really good question. I, it's funny because the clients we serve have such different opinions on this topic. I, I remember one client who was, I think he was in his early 60s, and we asked him, what is your goal as far as legacy planning and passing on wealth to the next generation? And his answer was, if I'm about to die and all I have is one quarter left, I'm going to swallow that quarter. <laughs> his stance was, I don't want anyone to receive anything from the work that I've done. <laughs> and then there are others who say they're setting up trusts and setting up foundations and they're setting up things for weddings and college and all these other things, first homes for their children and grandchildren. I almost, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. Um, I do have one client whose net worth is significant. I mean, a few hundred million and he is intent on giving their kids absolutely nothing. Um, and making sure nothing. nothing so what will, what will he do with it, Chad? He plans to give it all away. He plans to give it all away. Yeah. He's in fact, his own words, he said, he said, I want my kids to receive less than 1%, but I want the government to receive even less than that. So he was all about um, tax planning and estate planning, but it was really about the charitable intent of giving it away, but not ruining his kids. So he's, he's obviously really excited to get his hands on this book because it's a topic that he cares about, but I, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. Uh, we just had a client pass away who has three adult sons. One of the sons is a very, very frugal, successful, recently retired businessman. The other is a doctor who's got a high income and is moderately responsible with their wealth. And the third one is a drug addict who is in and out of jail. And any penny that they can get their hands on is going to be misused for trouble. And so do you, do you not give any money to any of the kids because one of them is very irresponsible? That's a tough question to answer like that. So I, I don't know if it's a one size fits all answer in my own situation as my kids are evolving and getting older and our business keeps growing. I feel like it's something that needs to be revisited frequently and I'm certainly not going to give without responsibility. So the more, the more responsibility and the more effort and the more work that my kids show, then the more freedoms they'll have. That's the way I'm approaching it right now. Yeah. For those that are leaving their kids money, clients or friends or others that you've talked to or heard about, are they putting age restrictions on it? Or you don't get the money until you're 30 or you don't get the money until you graduate? Or I mean, I've heard a few yeah. different of these from our guests. Yeah, some of that I've seen happen. I don't see it as commonly um, as just here's outright inheritances. I think families that I see that we're working with, a lot of them are leaving assets, income producing assets that really, they require some management. So we just had a, um, a client, our, our client is the adult son who has his own furniture business and does well. Uh, but his parents passed away and they left a couple commercial shopping center developments and they've got great passive income, but there's some work involved in that. He's gotta be essentially the property manager and work with the tenants and work with the loan broker and, and do some things for that. But it, you know, he's, he's not under 25 years old. He's obviously old enough to have his own um, high school kids, but I, I don't see it as, 
commonly done where you've got age restrictions or it's kind of like uh, controlling from the grave. I don't see too much of that anymore. I think one interesting thing is going to be if any of the president's proposals go through for changing the estate tax, that it's going to significantly impact the plans that people have set up. So today, um, under the last Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the exemption is $23.4 million per couple that they can pass on with no inheritance estate tax. There are proposals out there to change that to $7 million or less per couple. And if that happens, then there are going to be a lot of people subject to that perhaps 50 to 60% tax that were never considering themselves in that in that red zone. So I think it could affect a lot of financial and estate plans for people as they're looking to pass money on. Most people I know would rather pass it on to their kids or charity than just to see it go away to taxes. So. Yeah, totally. So, Chad, when should people start estate planning and, and thinking about those things related to their estate? I think we see people, the earlier you can set something up, some foundational estate plan stuff set up, the better. If you have kids in a mortgage and you have a business, you really should start getting things in order. You may not have the clear vision of what to do at the end game, but because your kids are younger, but you should have some things set up. So we recommend if you've got, if you're married with kids, then let's get some foundational documents in place. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars to get it done. You can really find quality attorneys and get some quality legal work done that just says, here's my family wishes. I don't have to leave it to probate or leave it to the government and the courts to decide what happens if we are disabled or if we die. So I think earlier the better. We help, we've helped a lot of families that are younger just starting out get that, get that set up. If you want to get more, if you've got a net worth over 10 million, you're probably going to do a little bit more complex planning and have a little bit more uh, detail in the estate plan. But there's no reason to delay getting some of these basic foundational documents in place. Totally. If somebody thinks they'll get to 10 million, would it make sense for them to put some of those things in place before or do they wait till they get to that 10 million mark? It could. It could make sense. If your income is significantly growing and you've got some highly appreciating assets, business ownerships, things like that, then you can do some planning with some foresight that would protect you from from taxes or from creditors down the line for sure. Yeah, totally. So in closing here, Chad, what would be your last words of advice for, for those that, that have some kids that they're raising right now to, to be not to be smart and not spoiled? My my advice would be to make money a comfortable conversation topic at the kitchen table with your family and that everything you do and say, and especially what you do, is being observed and absorbed by the young people in your life. So they see how you approach money. They see how you talk about money. They see the decisions you're making. And I think it's, it's very important that if we want our next generation to be successful and to be financially prepared for their future, future, then we've got to be more intentional about how we talk about money. We've got to plant seeds while they're young. We can't, we can't talk to them once they're married and adults and expect habits to change. So the, the earlier we can plant those seeds, the better. Awesome. Once again, that's Chad with Pacific Capital. Thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chad. 
Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.